think I'm going to stay in the pulpit today lest I fall down. So here we are in this gospel of John and Jesus laying it out for everyone. And so here is the pop quiz. What was the purpose of the gospel of John? To what end was it written? I have said this about 18 times over the past six months. Okay, you all fail. But that's okay. We believe in redemption, so we're going on. The purpose of the Gospel of John, as was written in the Gospel of John in a passage we read a few weeks ago, is to convince Christians that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the goal of John. It is very clear, and it's different in John than in the other Gospels. Again, it is very, it is very clear. It's written out. We had it as a reading from this pulpit, I think, three weeks ago. And so look at this prayer in that light. Right? Jesus is with his disciples, and he is telling them, I'm about to leave. And they are understandably afraid because Jesus has been their protector. Jesus has been their leader, and they don't know what's going to happen after he goes. And so in this prayer, which is a little preachy, if you were paying attention to it, he is seeking to reassure them that he comes from God that nothing that Jesus had on earth was not a thing that did not exist before, that God above was with Jesus, that all people on earth, and especially these people here around him, were children of God, and that after Jesus is gone, that will not change. And furthermore, you people here around me are special people. You followed me, even though, as it says in the carry-on verses after this, the world hated you and did not understand you. And so Jesus is reminding them that they have a special place in God's heart right here, and that they should continue to move on and not be tempted to walk away, to not be tempted to abandon God because God will be protecting them in the future. They were players in Jesus' story and they are players in God's story which goes on after Jesus' life in it is over. And so what does that mean? So he says in verse 6, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. You people around this table were chosen from God, and I showed you what it meant to worship God. They were yours, they were God's, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. You people here have been faithful. You have followed me through all your trials and tribulations. And now they know that everything you have given me is from you. They, these people, understand and will keep on living this good news that Jesus Christ is, in addition to being the Son of God, the great prophet of God. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And we go down further, and it says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And glory in the Gospel of John is an important sense. It's an important word. It's an important concept that means a specific thing. And the glory in John's Gospel is the truth 
that Jesus Christ is divine. That is what the glory of Jesus is. We know this because early on in the chapter, early on in the book, he performs miracles and says, no, 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 you must not tell anyone. It is not time to reveal my glory in the world. And now in this speech, he's saying, it is time to reveal my glory in the world. And this happens in the crucifixion. Right? And this is another thing that is important and different about the Gospel of John. In the other, in the synoptic Gospels, in Mark and Matthew and Luke, there is a strong emphasis on Jesus' return to earth that is not present in Jesus' preaching so much in John. Because you get the idea in John that Jesus' glory is to be revealed in his lifetime to these disciples that they may continue on with the help of the Holy Spirit and change the world. It is a present salvation in John. It is the idea that we are given in the life of Jesus Christ, as well as in the death of Jesus Christ, the opportunity to know God. I have been glorified in them. They have shown people that I am the Son of God, that I have a special relationship with God, and also... They have found that divinity in their own lives, too. And from this time forward, Jesus will not be there to show the glory. It will be on the disciples. And so in the Gospel of John, we have gotten the hints from Jesus about what it looks like to reflect the divinity of Jesus Christ in your own life, from your own actions, and to find it in the lives of others. We remember Jesus encountering a woman at a well and telling her and reminding her that he knows she's been married seven times and is living with a man that is not her husband. And he does not say, you harlot, he does not say, you terrible person. He does not say, you must have deserved what you got. He says, I am the one that is here to help you. When Jesus and his disciples encountered a man who could not walk down to the healing waters of Siloam, his disciples immediately said, who did something that he deserved this? Was this a sin of his own? Did he somehow offend God? Did he wear the wrong outfit? And Jesus said, why are you looking for the sin in this man? He has no one to help him down to the water. And this is what reflecting the divinity of God in our lives looks like. It is recognizing that these people are not agents for our story. They are not bit players in our narratives. This man who was to be healed was not someone to point at and discuss and imagine and make him part of their story. This man had his own story. And this man's story began in God and ended in God the same way all of the disciples' stories began in God 
and ended in God. And yet, we live in a different world. We live in a world where women are sexually assaulted, and the first thing we ask is, did it really happen that way? And the second thing we ask is, what did you do to lead him on? We live in a world where women walk down the street and people, especially men, feel no hesitation to catcall or mock them for what they look like. We live in a world where Brent Musburger can say on the air, looking at A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, A.J. McCarron, the quarterback for the University of Alabama, see, that's what you get for being quarterback. You get to have the pretty girls. You get to have the pretty girls because that's what we talk about and that's what we talk like. And in the Bible, there are entire books written about what happens to women who do not have men to protect them. Read the book of Ruth. That's, that's the book of Ruth. And the answer is they do whatever they need to do to be protected by a man. And in the world today, I read dozens of testimonies by women who invent fictitious boyfriends in bars to avoid people who won't take no for an answer. So even today, we say a woman is not fully a woman, does not need to be fully respected unless she has a man that is protecting her. And that is not respecting the divinity in us. And that is not respecting the divinity in all of God's creation. Women are not meant on this earth simply to be bit players in men's stories, no matter how many movies make it so. Ask me some time about the Bechdel test. So after the shootings in Santa Barbara last weekend, I read the first few pages of Elliot Rogers' manifesto that sets out his hatred at the world, his hatred at humanity and all the people that caused him pain, and especially all the women who were responsible for him maintaining against his will his virginity. And I thought, man, what a terrible way to go through life. But when you're constantly bombarded by the idea that women exist to serve men, when you're constantly bombarded by the idea that the definition of a woman is someone who is there to serve a man, when you're constantly bombarded by the idea that women are bit players in the narratives of men, sometimes when you combine it with someone who is detached from reality, what you get is Elliot Roger and all the people he talks with all the time. The person who goes to the sorority house and sees people talking and wonders why it is that people won't talk to him and say it must be a problem with them that they do not recognize the brilliance within me and he never stops and says, what is her story? 
What is the story of the woman that I see and would like to talk to? Why do I want to talk to her? What is it about her that I find interesting? Because it is one-dimensional. And so we get to a world where instead of wondering what it is that he's missing in the lives of these women, he wonders why he's being deprived of the thing that is rightfully his. And goes out and buys a lot of guns and says, well, if I can't have them, neither can you. And then in pulpits across the country, we read the names of yet more people senselessly killed. And we can make a difference. I don't know if we could have done anything to prevent Elliot Roger. But what we can do is to say, no, everyone is a human. Everyone is a loved child of God. Everyone has autonomy on their own bodies. And everyone gets the opportunity to live and display the divinity they find within themselves according to their rules. They get to be respected for their choices. We get to say here, no, and walk away. We get to understand that they are not players in our world. They are not characters in our story as much as we are not characters in their story. We are all of us characters in God's story. The story begins in God and ends in God. And if our lives do not show that, we need to reread Jesus' words and remember that he was glorified in us. And the way we live glorifies God or doesn't glorify God. Jesus asked, do you love me? Peter said, yes, I do. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Amen.